Theo, read this quote. I would prefer not to. No. You would prefer that you not do that. I would prefer that you sing the actual theme song instead of the fucking Hobbit's theme. Welcome to Fire the Canon, the podcast where we read the books in the Western canon and decide if they belong or not. By the time this episode is over, you'll know everything there is to know about Bartleby the Scrivener, but you'll be having such a good time, you won't even realize it. By the time this podcast is over, you'll be a freaking Bartleby genius. Yeah. (laughs) What everyone wants. Whenever you walk into a room, people will say, there's the Bartleby bro. Listen to this podcast and you will become known far and wide (laughs) for your obsession with Bartleby the Scrivener. (laughs) By the end of this episode, you can walk into any first grade classroom in the United States of America and teach those kids all about Bartleby the Scrivener, but you won't even notice how much fun you're having. (laughs) No, we want them to, that's the part we want people to notice. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one thing we do want them to know. You're going to learn and you're not going to notice that it was cool. In case you couldn't tell from the fact that we've said the word Bartleby 50 times in quick succession, this week we will be reading Herman Melville's classic American short story, Theo? Bartleby the Scrivener. Hey. Hey. She said me. Bartleby the Scrivener. Nice. Okay, Jackie, you do it too. Bartleby the Scrivener. All right, Theo? (laughs) Can you guys introduce yourselves? I'm one of your hosts, Rachel. I'm the other host, Jackie. And I produce both of them. My name is Theo. Okay. Theo is the reason we exist. (laughs) He's the reason for the season. (laughs) Yeah. So you might be sitting there in your car or your space pod or wherever it is that you are, your home. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You might be sitting there wondering, what is a Scrivener anyway? Well, I'll tell you. Rachel, what's a Scrivener? It basically means a scribe. It's someone who copies things. In this particular story, it's law clerks who just kind of copy legal documents back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the story was written in 1853. So back in the day, you know, they didn't have uh, copiers and we still don't really have copiers because I've never encountered a copy machine that actually works. So I kind of wish we still had Scriveners. Wow. Dang, that was observational as fuck. I know, hot take on copiers. Yeah. Is your name Jackie or Jerry Seinfeld? <laughs> That makes me feel sad. Take that back. <laughs> you did observational humor. What's the deal? Yeah. I thought you were just saying it was a bad joke. <laughs> no, Jerry Seinfeld is famous for his good jokes, Jackie. <laughs> oh, I thought you were just telling me I was like out of touch or something. Okay, never mind. I, now I'm happy. Oh. What I'm saying is we could put a man on the moon, but we can't like make a copier that doesn't jam every 10th time you use it. That's bullshit. Yeah. I wish I had a Scrivener. I don't think you uh, read the story properly then. (laughs) He doesn't have a good time with any of his scriveners. (laughs) So the narrator of the story is, uh, I don't think we get to know his name, right? But he's a lawyer. He's an old lawyer, works on Wall Street. He decided that he didn't want to be the passionate kind of lawyer that goes into courts and like argues cases and stuff. He's not very flashy, so he just likes to kind of work on uh, low profile cases. He never has to go to court. He just writes up things. He says he he wants to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. So he picked a job where he's never going to be stressed out. He never has to like rush to prepare a case. It's just all like pretty boring stuff. Very boring. But he's happy with it. He's content. Yeah. (laughs) The unnamed narrator has two Scriveners when the story starts, one named Turkey, one named Nippers. He also has an office boy called Ginger Nut. These are nicknames, right? They are nicknames. We never learned their real names. Okay. Do you remember how they got the nicknames, Jackie? Yes. 
Yes, I do. Oh, I'm excited okay. to hear how Ginger Nut got his nickname. <laughs> Theo? I know Turkey. So Turkey is like a kind of squat older Englishman, and he has a very red and radiant face, but only in the afternoon. So Turkey in the morning from the hours of like whatever until noon is a very calm and polite guy and he's great at his job. And then as soon as it hits noon and he goes and like has a drink at lunch, I guess, he basically flips a switch and turns into this like red faced maniac and he's always throwing things and just like getting ink blots all over the important papers and all kinds of stuff. So they call him Turkey because he's got like a red face, I guess. I actually don't remember why Nippers is called that. It's not laid out as clearly. The narrator explains that Turkey, yeah, is a great worker before lunch and then a bad worker after lunch due to his drunkenness. And Nippers is the opposite. He's a bad worker in the morning because he has indigestion. Mm. And then after lunch, he's a great worker and has like a wonderful temperament. The implication seems to be that Nippers, he either gets it because he like takes a nip, some little nips of alcohol over lunch that settles his stomach yeah like he's clearly hung over in the morning and that's why he's having a bad time and then when he drinks he feels better let's say it's indigestion but yeah they say it's indigestion. right it's he's probably hung over and then it also could be that nippers conducts business with people he calls clients who are like kind of shady individuals he work does that mm-hmm. out of the office too <laughs> so there's some <laughs> yeah, implication say, Here's my client but it's clear they're like collecting bills and right so it looks like he is involved in some kind of shady stuff maybe they're like nipping some things he shouldn't be some possessions or something or he could be involved in gambling or whatever mm. but yeah so that's where he gets his nickname so there's one who's yeah. a morning person and one who's an afternoon person yes Lucky, right? Is one of them like short and stout and the other is really tall and skinny? I think of Nipper. He's sallow. He's about 25 years old and they say he looks piratical. And Turkey is pretty old. 52 years old. (laughs) You just switch the numbers around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he could be at 52 years old. He is probably in his 50s, maybe early 60s. The narrator says that he tried to tell Turkey like, you're getting on in years. You're such a great worker in the morning. You should start taking half days and just go home after lunch. Just go home and rest at night. I guess he said it to him in the morning because Turkey's like, oh no, you know, if I'm so indispensable in the morning, I've got to stay and do the rest of my work. And you're saying that I'm old, but we're basically the same age. And if you can handle it, I I can handle it. And so he just lets him stay on. Nippers kind of reminded me of myself in a way because- Always um, hung over at work. Uh, Yeah, well, that, but also more importantly, he's constantly just fidgeting with his, like, workstation, and he can never, ever, ever get comfortable. And it says, like, he has a scrivener's table where he sits and, like, copies the papers, basically, but... Scrivens. Yeah, he scrivens. And he says he can never get this table to suit him. He puts chips under it. He puts blocks of various sorts. He puts pasteboard under it. He puts little tiny pieces of folded blotting paper under the legs. Sometimes when he wants to ease his back, he like brings the lid up at a very sharp angle and it looks like he's riding on a roof. And then sometimes when he doesn't want to ride at a sharp angle, he just stands up over it, but then that hurts his back. And then when he sits down, it like it hurts his arms. And so basically he never knows what he wants. And what if he, what it seems like he wants is to just not have a table. He will frequently pick up his desk and like slam it on the floor of the office and the narrator will hear it. If I was but strong enough I would be doing that all the time. So if at some point audience you hear some loud banging that's from when Jackie picked her desk up and dropped it on the floor multiple times. And now do you want to hear about Ginger Nut? I love Ginger Nut. Mm, Ginger Nut. Hey Theo why don't you guess why he's called that? For some reason since the last time you said it I had it in my head that his name was Ginger Nuts. (laughs) Um (laughs) 
This is the redheaded kid who never wears pants to work. (laughs) (laughs) Go, Jackie. Say another one. The nasty one. Oh, Jackie gets the award this episode. We should deliver that award, or not deliver. We should award that award to someone. Inflict the that Ms. award. The Jackson Award. <laughs> every time. That's our new bit that we do every episode from now until in, per- in perpetuity. Didn't you think that was a good name, though, that I came up with? Ginger Nuts? No, the Miss Jackson Award. Oh, that's pretty good. I don't get it. No, my name ain't Baby. It's Janet. Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. Oh. You don't know that song? It's surely not the Baby Award. It might be the Janet Award, but it's definitely the Miss Jackson Award. If you're nasty, yeah, you get the Miss Jackson Award. Wow. So there you go. Jackie gets it this time, unless Theo does something horrible. Okay. Did you want to guess, Theo, or now that you've learned that it's just one ginger nut ear over it? Ginger nut. Okay. It's some sort of treat or something that people ate in the 19th century. Jackie? You're correct. Yep. It's a little uh, like a spicy ginger cookie, pretty much. And they call him that because the two scriveners frequently send him out to buy them ginger nuts. It's like six or eight a penny. Wow. And so they just like give him their coins and they say, go buy us some. And then they munch on them all day long. They call him that because that's what they always make him buy. It's kind of dehumanizing. Dehumanizing. Yeah. (laughs) I guess there, someone could be grumpy in the evening. There, maybe there's a missing third character. Oh, you're right. I don't know. Maybe. Well, they maybe Ginger Nuts grumpy in the evening, but they don't know because he's at home. <laughs> he probably is because he's 12 and he probably just needs a little bit of an earlier bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He can't drink at all. Yeah. Why do I have a job? <laughs> I'm 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> what if Ginger Nut is just always drunk? <laughs> yeah, it's like the Hulk. Oh, sorry, go ahead. This is stupid. Go ahead. The Hulk is always drunk. <laughs> You wouldn't like me when I'm sober. He's always angry. (laughs) Yeah, there's that really stupid line where they're like, how did you learn how to control your hulkiness? And the Hulk says, it's easy. I'm always angry. And it's supposed to be this big moment. Like the soundtrack sets it up as this like awesome thing that he says. But he is the Hulk all the time. No, he's able to control it now because he's just constantly at a level of simmering rage, I guess. It's so stupid. So if he ever gets happy, what happens? Uh, He would stop being able to control his transformation into the Hulk, I guess. Oh, no. Sorry, Mark. Don't make him happy. So like what? <laughs> you won't like him when he's happy. <laughs> but, gosh, that'd be a horrible life though to constantly be getting angry like i feel like you just have to be checking twitter all the time or something i I feel like i could always be angry a little bit because of the government (laughs) you kind of have a wrathful side to you i am always a little bit angry theo just try being a woman okay it's hard (laughs) and now things got real (laughs) so you know what i'm gonna say right one of us has to be turkey one has to be nippers and one is ginger nut i'm pretty sure i'm nippers i'm turkey theo's gotta be ginger nut yeah rachel's turkey well here's the thing you are more of a morning person than i am Yeah. So you should probably be turkey, right? Oh, I guess. (laughs) Jackie is the one who lifts her desk up above her head and drops it to the floor all the time. And I'm good natured at night. That's the more important quality. I'm good natured all the time. I guess. Anyway, we've solved that conundrum. (laughs) So should we actually- I can't believe you said I'm not in a good mood at night. (laughs) Here's the thing. My name can't be Ginger Nut because, because that's not what you guys make me do all the time. What's the thing you make me do all the time? And then no, that will be my name. We call you the producer because you constantly produce. They call him Ginger Nut because he constantly acquires Ginger Nut. Ginger Nut. I am very productive. Okay, then how about I'm producer. No, you're Ginger Nut. Uh, you're uh, Swilly Willy and you're... <laughs> what, are the, what are the names? Swilly Willy. <laughs> Turkey and Nippers. Turkey and Swilly nippers. Willy, Pigeon, okay. and Produce Boy. <laughs> produce Nuts. 
produce nuts. Okay. I don't know. If we accept that um, sponsorship from Smooth My Balls, <laughs> how does this change things? This would have actually been a perfect episode for them. Yeah. yeah, I would have loved that. I mean, we can write them back. It's possible. It's not, it wasn't real. It's not a real sponsorship opportunity. Are you sure? I'm positive. Okay, listeners, tell me, watch, look, and listen. We got an Instagram message on our Fire the Cannon Instagram account from a bot. No, from a person who wants to sponsor no, us. Not a real person, a bot. From a bot with very <laughs> smooth balls. It's the CEO of the Smooth My Balls company, which apparently makes razors to... Smooth one's balls. Smooth my balls. I thought balls. it was an iPhone yeah. game where they give you these balls that you smooth. Rachel, this is a real company. Am I wrong? We got contacted by the CEO. <laughs> no, it was a woman who said like, I think you should check out Smooth My Balls. They would love to work with you. <laughs> she said, we think you would be perfect for this. And we have we don't know what it is. <laughs> I think it's an iPhone game where you smooth balls. I think it's like a razor company. You think it's an iPhone I game? don't think it's a razor company. I, I'm pretty sure. Sh- yes, it is. It's oh like manscaping God. stuff. <laughs> well, let's ask the audience this question. Do you think it would be worse or better if the company's name was my smooth balls i believe worse <laughs> maybe you could go for like a yoda thing and say balls smooth my <laughs> my balls smooth she said hi i had a look over your profile seems like you are a great fit smooth my balls is interested in working with you could you please drop them a message here at smooth my balls <laughs> no, okay click on it i am clicking on it okay you can direct message them to be an ambassador there's free worldwide shipping there's something you can click movement, grooming, or ball care. Oh, this is not an iPhone game. Oh my God, this is disgusting. Oh no, is it pictures of balls? No. Ball bacteria grows differently to your face bacteria. <laughs> yeah, that grammar is atrocious. You're right. Let's move on. No free clout. <laughs> cool. So that happened. Let's get back to Bartleby. Okay. So Theo's ginger nut, we decided. <laughs> All right, moving on. Okay, so they're ha- they're getting more work done in the office, and he decides he needs to hire another scrivener. So he meets a quiet, pale young man named Bartleby, and he hires him. That's the title character. Yes, exactly. And for the first, I think, three days, Bartleby like works really, really quickly, and he produces great work. Like He's the model employee. He's impossible to distract. He just sits down. He does his thing. He never does anything else. He doesn't even get up and have any food. Basically, his only flaw is that like he doesn't chit-chat. It's just he works really quietly, which is... The the narrator says like, well, that's fine. I'm hoping he'll have a good effect on my other Scriveners. Yeah, because they're so wild. Mm. Yeah, at different times of day. Well, so basically the narrator thinks of himself as being like a very generous and kind man. And he's not like not kind, but it's very important to him that like he treats these people well. And <laughs> so even though they're both awful for half of the day, he's like, well, because they're awful at different halves of the day, it's fine. I can keep them both around. And he's always like looking for ways to help them. So he said, it's possible that because Turkey has such a red, like explosive, just radiating warmth face that he probably can't afford a nice coat because of how crazy his face is. So he spends all his energy on that. So he says he presented Turkey with one of his own coats. It's a very nice coat. It buttons from the knee to the neck. It's very warm and it's blanket-like. some Bob Cratchit energy. Mm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like a comforter. But he really did say it's blanket-like. So he said he thought it was going to, you know, like basically make him a little bit more calm in the afternoons. Like maybe it would just like calm him down. <laughs> But in fact, it made him even worse. It said it made him insolent. He was a man whom prosperity harmed. 
<laughs> the red face is probably from alcohol, I think is the implication. That he keeps it red by drinking a lot so he can't afford to spend the money on a coat. I see. He's, but he's always coming up with like <laughs> funny little excuses for why people are the way they are. He's, he's witty. He tries to find the most generous interpretation for everything. Yeah, which kind of comes back to bite him. Where does it bite him? In the smooth balls? <laughs> Rachel. Ha, Rachel's the nasty one this time. So Bartleby, he's a great worker for the first few days. And then because they are scriveners and they write everything out by hand, the way that they check their work is that like everyone reads it out loud to make sure it matches. One day when the narrator, so he makes Bartleby like a mini office inside his office. I should have explained this a little earlier. And so inside his office, they, it has two windows and one window looks out on basically like a black brick wall and the other window looks out into the white like inner painted hallway of the building, the stairwell. So none of them actually look outside. So neither one has a really good view. So he, may, he uses like a little screen in his office to give Bartleby a mini office and whenever he wants Bartleby to proofread or copy something, he can just like hold his hand out and hand him the paper. Mm -hmm. So finally on like the third day or something, he holds out the paper for Bartleby and Bartleby doesn't respond. And he says like, hey, can you proofread this? And for the first time, Bartleby says, I would prefer not to. And the narrator says, what are you talking about? Are you moonstruck? The problem with Bartleby in terms of how the narrator feels is that Bartleby is totally calm. There's no agitation. It says there. Had there been the least uneasiness, anger, impatience, or impertinence in his manner? In other words, had there been anything ordinarily human about him? Doubtless, I should have violently dismissed him from the premises. But as it was, I should have as soon thought of turning my pale plaster of Paris bust of Cicero out of doors. He's totally <laughs> not being rude in any way. He's just saying, I would prefer not to. No emotion. And he's basically just so shocked that he doesn't have any way to respond. And so he says, whatever, I'm busy. And he just goes somewhere else. Yeah, I can't deal with this. Yeah. right now. <laughs> so he calls Nippers to do it for him. And so he works again for a few more days. He writes a whole bunch of like documents that are, you know, duplicates of each other. Yeah. And he says, this is really important. So I need everybody to actually proofread these. So he has four copies of them and the original. So he gives Ginger Nut, Turkey, Nippers, and Bartleby each a copy. And then he has the original and they're supposed to all do them together. But Bartleby again just says, I would prefer not to. And he just goes back behind his screen. And the narrator says, for a few moments, I turned into a pillar of salt <laughs> and then he demanded the reasons for his for this this extraordinary conduct and they ask him why do you refuse i would prefer not to he never says anything else so he tries to reason with bartleby <laughs> and he says these are your copies that we're about to look at if you do this with us it's going to save you a lot of time so we'll get all of them done at once. Uh -huh. You're the one who made the copies. You're supposed to help. Isn't that true? And he says, yeah. So will you do it? He says, <laughs> you agree that this makes sense? And he's like, yeah. And then you're going to do it, right? No. I would prefer not to. So he says to Turkey, he says, am I not right? And because it's the morning and Turkey's nice, he says, with submission, sir, I think that you are. And then Nippers, he says, what do you think of it? And because it's the morning, Nippers is like, kick him out of the office. <laughs> and he asks Ginger Nut, and Ginger Nut says, I think he's a little loony. Yeah. So the narrator's like, okay, you've heard everyone. We all agree. Come on, come do what you're <laughs> supposed to do. And he doesn't respond at all this time. <laughs> he just stays behind his screen. Can they see him at this point, or are they just talking to the screen? He's behind a screen, but... 
so they, I mean, they know he's there, but they're not looking at him. Yeah, when he's behind the screen, he can't be seen. He, like, he put him there basically so that he could give him instructions verbally, but they wouldn't have to see each other. Mm. But he just stays behind the screen, doesn't say anything, so. Everyone else does it, and they keep making, like, little comments about Bartleby every couple pages, he says. And Nippers, again, because Nippers is mad in the morning, he's super pissed, and he's just, like, making signed little comments. Hissing. Wow. Some days pass, and he's, you know, working on some more scrivening. The narrator starts to notice that Bartleby isn't he doesn't ever notice him leaving or eating dinner it seems like he's only surviving off of ginger nuts he says he well he lives on ginger nuts this like this is what I'm observing he must be a vegetarian and then he says but no he doesn't even eat vegetables he only eats ginger nuts and Mm -hmm. then he thinks about what must it be like to live on ginger nuts like what does that do to you they're so spicy but yet they're not giving him a spicy personality at all (laughs) (laughs) they're having no effect he says ginger then had no effect upon Bartleby probably he preferred it should have none and it says nothing so aggravates an earnest person as a passive resistance so it's because of the fact that he's so passive and never argues and doesn't get angry and shows no emotion that it's so aggravating to the narrator. But he doesn't get rid of them mm-hmm. because he thinks, Gosh. you know, I can get along with him. Like, he, you know, he does his work, whatever. Like He's not being insolent. Yeah, he says, if I turn him out, then he's probably going to be, like, abused and, and probably starved to death. So he says, here I can cheaply purchase a delicious self-approval. So basically he's, he says, I'm going to... It'll be good for my soul. It'll be good for my self-esteem. I'll be able to think of myself as a good guy as long as I just keep employing him. Yep. He's a pretty good boss. Well, yeah. Well, he's trying to be, it seems, but uh, he says that he's trying to just deal with it. But then later on, he again asks Bartleby to compare some papers and Bartleby still says he would prefer not to. So now he asks his other Scriveners again, but since it's the afternoon, this time Turkey is gonna, he says, well, I'm gonna black his eye for him, and Nippers is like, oh, oh, I'm sure it's fine, like, it's not a big deal. And the narrator tells Turkey, like, calm down, you don't need to fight him, you know, I'm sure it'll be fine, don't worry about it. Let's not beat him up today. But then something <laughs> bad happens, so, and it, it's because the narrator says something, a little evil impulse woke up in him, and he decided, you know what, I'm just gonna make him do something. And he says he remembers that he's never seen Bartleby leave the office because he's always the first one there and the last one to leave. And he says, hey, Bartleby, can't you go to the post office and uh, pick up something for me? And at this point, he prefers not to. And he says, you will not. And he says, I prefer not. So now he won't even directly say that he's not going to do it. Then he's like, okay, well, could you just go into the other room and tell Nippers to come in? And even that, Bartleby says he would prefer not to do. So at this point, the narrator, he, it says he's starting to get very angry, but he thinks, okay, day's almost over. I'm just going to go home. He just says, all right, the end result of this is that I just have this pale young scrivener living in my chambers. He's still copying things for me but he never does any other work at all <laughs> but this is fine but this is and fine. <laughs> he won't do any errands wow. if we ask him to do anything he just refuses point blank but i'm used to it i don't mind <laughs> he's a valuable acquisition yeah he says like <laughs> i have the utmost confidence in his honesty and he can trust him with anything because a guy who you know openly tells you that he doesn't want to do any other work isn't gonna lie to you yeah basically. so he trusts him a lot <laughs> we've all had a roommate like this right rachel we certainly have jackie <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it. I, I feel like everybody has a roommate where you're just like, 
super infuriates me, but okay, but we just got to live together. You two were famously roommates for like five years, right? Famously. Yeah, yeah, for a while. Who else were you roommates with, Jackie? Rachel and I had several other roommates. Oh my God, there's so many weird roommate things that happen. Theo, didn't you have like, did you ever like not like any of your roommates? Because I feel like you typically like them. That old Latina Trump supporter. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. You liked her okay, right? Or <laughs> she liked you or something? She gave you haircuts. She gave me one haircut and it wasn't good. And she also made fun of the hair on my ears when <laughs> she did it. Aww. Isn't she like 80? I'm sure she has hair on her ears. She, she made a face and I was like, what's wrong? And she like touched the hairs on my ears. Oh. And she was like, I have never seen that. Wow. And she's been cutting hair for like 50 years. <laughs> she has been so close to people's ears for so many decades. And she told me that she's never seen anything like the hair that grows on my ears. I don't think it's that noticeable. One time Jackie said, do you want to hear another Jackie criticism of Theo? Yeah. <laughs> oh no, what did I do now? One time we were at Rachel's house oh, and we were watching TV and I was sitting in front of Jackie and Jackie said, do you have a feather behind your ear? <laughs> okay, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> like she thought it was like a down feather. <laughs> and Theo was so upset that he still hasn't forgotten it. So the narrator goes to church one Sunday because there's a celebrated preacher preaching and he thinks, oh, well, I'll just check out the office. So he goes to the office and he tries to open it with his key, but there's something inserted from the inside that's preventing the key from going in. And he says like, hello, hello. And then Bartleby unlocks the door and leans out. He's disheveled and he's like wearing an undershirt. And says, oh, sorry, I'm deeply engaged right now. And I prefer not to admit you at present. But if you walk around the block two or three times, by then I probably will have concluded my affairs. And then he just goes back in and closes the door. Jeez. The narrator describes his uh, demeanor as cadaverously gentlemanly nonchalance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he says he incontinently <laughs> slunk away from his own door and started walking around. So he's just like being made a total fool by this guy. Like can't get into his own office, like sees that this guy is like living there opening the door on a Sunday all disheveled and half-dressed and it's just like, oh, okay, well, take your time. <laughs> right. He says, like, I'm sure he's not immoral. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, he thinks he's, like, <laughs> sleeping with someone in the office? Is that what he means by immoral? I don't know, thievery or something? I don't. It could be anything. But he says, well, even though he's eccentric, there's no way that he would be doing his job in any state approaching to nudity. Also, it's on a Sunday. There's no way he would do his job on a Sunday. <laughs> so finally he returns and he goes in and he doesn't see Bartleby. He looks around, looks around, and then he realizes that Bartleby has been living in the office, basically. He finds like an, a blanket and a basin with a towel and some crumbs of ginger nuts and cheese. And he finds the shower buddy that first moved my balls. <laughs> yeah. Sitting there. Bartleby's so decorous, always keeping those balls smooth. Whoa. But then he thinks like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for him. He must be so lonely. Yeah, what a terrible, sad life. Right. He must be so miserable. I've got to help him instead of being like, oh, this guy needs to be fired. Yeah, well, he feels <laughs> terrible for him. Yeah. He says this is the first time that he's felt a feeling of overpowering, stinging melancholy. Before this, he had never experienced anything but a quote, not unpleasing sadness. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a little bit given to melancholy himself. Good kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, but now he's like, oh no, a fraternal melancholy. Both Bartleby and I are sons of Adam. I have to fix this. Yeah, the bad kind of sad. But then he notices that there's 
there's something that attracts him to the desk, Bartleby's desk, and it says that there is a key lying in open sight, and he decides to unlock the drawer. So he unlocks the drawer, and he looks inside, and he finds an old handkerchief that's full of coins. And he realizes he's never spent any of the money that he's ever paid him. He's never seen him read a newspaper. He's never seen him go out to lunch. He's never seen him drink tea or coffee. All he does is sit there and doesn't even spend the money. He just works all day, lives at the office. He buys ginger nuts, but that's it. He buys like, yeah, a couple ginger nuts a day. Wow. At this point in the story, I'm getting creeped out. You know, I'm like, what is wrong with this guy? Something's wrong with this oh, guy. Yeah. Like the mystery keeps unfolding. Don't you think, Theo? Yeah, that makes sense. It seems like it should be supernatural at this point. Like he's a ghost. Yeah. A ghost that eats ginger nuts. <laughs> well, they've never even seen him eat ginger nuts. They just know that he sometimes buys them. But he sits behind the screen. Who knows what he does? I mean, they see crumbs from ginger nuts. Maybe he just crumples up the crumb. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he would probably prefer not to. It says that his melancholy merged into fear and his pity into repulsion, which is just like you, Jackie. Yeah, I think this is creepy. <laughs> <laughs> You're frightened and repulsed by Bartleby. <laughs> I mean, like you notice a guy like living in a place he's not supposed to be living. That's always creepy. Never have you ever been like, oh, how cute. This guy's living in my walls. <laughs> if he's not supposed to be there, you're like, what? And then you say, can you please get out of my walls? And he says, and he says I prefer I not would prefer to. not to. And he's yeah. just so calm, you can't do anything about it. And also what's <laughs> kind of funny is the fact that he doesn't spend any money is what freaks him out the worst because he's like, all right, well, everybody understands being motivated by money. And if this guy's not spending money, I'm terrified of what his motivations are, basically. Yeah, Bartleby's been dead for 80 years, blah, blah, blah. Right, yeah. So he decides he's going to fire him, but he's going to give him $20 over what he actually owes him. So that's like a large amount of money in 1856, 3-0. Confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he says basically, listen, I'm not going to make you do something you'd prefer not to do. I just want to talk to you. So then finally Bartleby like pokes his head out from behind the screen because he kept being like, Bartleby, Bartleby. And he never responded. <laughs> and then he says, I'm not going to tell you to do anything. And then he noiselessly slides into view. <laughs> <laughs> he's like a cat like here's one of my hot takes i think all of them are cats i think turkey and nippers and ginger nut and barbie are all cats because they all act like cats okay no no yeah. no not ginger nut ginger nut is their owner ginger nuts the cattest name of all no then what about the narrator the narrator is someone who makes really bad choices with hiring employees so he hired one person and that person's three cats yeah. You know this is a cat. Like, you call a cat and it won't do anything, and then you're like, I'm going to give you a treat, and he's like... So the treat is not telling you to do something. So he tries to have a conversation with Bartleby. Where are you born? Can you tell me anything? And Bartleby would prefer not to. He finally says, what reasonable objection can you have to speak to me? I feel friendly towards you. And Bartleby just <laughs> doesn't respond at all and, like, doesn't even look at him. Right. So he says, okay, Bartleby, what's your answer? And Bartleby says, at present, I prefer to give no answer. Yeah. And so now he's feeling unsettled, and so he decides... <laughs> <laughs> he says, like, okay, whatever. In a day or two, hopefully you will begin to be a little reasonable, right? Yeah. And Bartleby says, at present, I would prefer not to be a little reasonable. <laughs> yeah, so he he had been, like, set on firing him at first, and now he's, like, now he's so strange that, again, he loses his resolve. Every The weirder he gets, he's like, uh, I, I don't know what to do with this. I have to take a few yeah. days to think about it again. Taking it back. <laughs> so he says, at present, I would prefer not to be a little reasonable. Nippers comes in, and he seems even more uh, cantankerous than usual, um, even more se severe indigestion than normal because he heard what Bartleby said where he prefers not to be reasonable. 
But then what happens is that everyone else in the office like subconsciously starts throwing the word prefer into all of their sentences without realizing it. And this really creeps the narrator out because it's even happening to him. So Nippers comes in and he's like, I'd prefer, I'd prefer, I'd prefer. What does he prefer not to do now? And the narrator says, Mr. Nippers, I'd prefer that you would withdraw for the present. <laughs> and then he realizes, oh, God, what is happening? And then Turkey shows up. <laughs> now it's creepy. It's getting creepy. And Turkey <laughs> says, I think that if Mr. Bartleby would but prefer to take a quart of good ale every day, blah, 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 like saying he just needs to drink beer. <laughs> the narrator thinks he must be joking, like, but he didn't say it with any tone of sarcasm. <laughs> like, He doesn't emphasize the word prefer at all. He just oh slides it in there. He doesn't even realize he's doing it. Yeah, the narrator says, oh, so you've got the word Word too. And Turkey's like, what word? And he says, prefer. <laughs> so he's like, that's the word. And he's and <laughs> Turkey says, oh, prefer? Yes, queer word. I never use it myself. But as I was saying, if he would but prefer. Wow. <laughs> and he's like, Turkey, get out of here. And he says, oh, yeah, sure. If you prefer that I would. <laughs> I love this part of the story. Yeah. Everyone's starting to prefer things. Yeah. The next day, Bartleby is just in his little sub office and just staring out the window at the blank wall. And the narrator says, what now? No more writing? And Bartleby says, no more. No more. <laughs> and the narrator says, and what is the reason? And Bartleby indifferently replies, do you not see the reason for yourself? Yeah, no question mark. Do you not see the reason for yourself? <laughs> and so the narrator looks at him and realizes that his eyes look dull and glazed over. And he says, oh, well, probably because he's always writing by this dim light of the window, he might have injured his vision. Yeah. And, he's, and he's touched. And he said, oh, my God, I, I had no idea. Look, it's, of course, reasonable for you to abstain from writing for a while. Yeah, take some days off. No worries, Bartleby. <laughs> yeah, why don't you go exercise in the open air? Take all the time you need. <laughs> but instead of exercising in the open air or taking any days off, he just sits there. He doesn't leave. He doesn't go outside. Finally, the narrator says, well, he says, like, aren't you going to copy? And Bartleby's like, no. He says, but if your eyes were entirely well, even better than before, wouldn't you make copies again? And Bartleby says, I have given up copying and slides aside. <laughs> I love the movement. Like, he's always, like, sliding in wordlessly. Yeah. Like, he is a ghost. <laughs> and they say, all right, well, if he doesn't do anything, then why should he stay here? Like, he's, I've I am sorry for them, but I've got to get rid of them. But he seems like he's alone, and he calls them a bit of a wreck in the mid-Atlantic. He says if he knew a friend or a family member he could ask for help, he would have immediately written to them and been like, you've got to help Bartleby out. But he doesn't know anyone he could contact. So he says, I'm going to give him six days. And he says, you have to unconditionally leave the office six days from this very hour. <laughs> <laughs> six days of just letting him stand there. Yeah. He says, I'll make sure that I'll provide for you. I'll give you extra money. And what do you what do you think happens at the end of the six days, Theo? He just stays there. Yeah. It says, I peeped behind the screen and lo, Bartleby was there. <laughs> <laughs> So he keeps doing more and more for him. He says, look, here's $20 on top of what I also owe you. So this is now $32. And he says, the time has come. I'm really sorry, but you got to go. And he says, I would prefer not. And at this point, he won't even turn around to face him, let alone look at him. <laughs> so he said, okay, well, sorry, but you have to. And then he puts the money. Here's, take this money because Bartleby won't accept it. He won't even reach out his hand. He just stands there. So he says, all right, I'm leaving it on the desk and I'm going to leave now. And uh, when you leave, make sure you lock the door. <laughs> yeah. All right. Bye, Bartleby. I won't be seeing you again. He says, yeah, I won't see you again. <laughs> so goodbye. <laughs> 
And then on the way home, he started to feel amazing about himself. The narrator is like, God, I did such a good thing. Like, I handled that so well. I didn't get angry. Yeah. I didn't have to push him out physically. I didn't have to bully him. I didn't have to call the police. I'm an, he said, I'm an amazing manager. I'm a great boss. And then he woke up in the morning and he was like, you're always more reasonable in the morning, right? Like, yeah. and he wakes up and he's like, I bet that motherfucker didn't leave. And he goes back to the <laughs> office and <laughs> sure enough, he's still there. Oh my gosh. There's a really funny part on his walk back. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it says like he's walking back and he sees along the street, it says on the corner of Broadway and Canal, because he works on Wall Street. He sees an excited group of people standing in earnest conversation. And one of them says, I'll take odds. He doesn't. And he says, doesn't go done. Put up your money. And then and he reaches in his wallet to offer some money and then he realizes oh no they're talking about a mayoral race i just assumed everyone else was as excited to find out what bartleby did as i am and that everyone would be talking about him so he interrupts this conversation to go oh yeah that he doesn't go here you go here's money and they're like what is going on yep wow. so he realizes basically he's like i'm going insane yeah. like i just assumed everybody else was also thinking about this so he goes up to his office the door is locked and he's like whoo he's gone He's fumbling for the key under the doormat, which he assumes Bartleby must have left there. But in it, behind the door, he hears a voice comes and says, not yet, I'm occupied. <laughs> and he compares himself to a man who he read about a long time ago who was standing at a window and had been killed by a bolt of lightning. And he says he just stood there like that man who was killed by a bolt of lightning and no one realized he was dead until they touched him and he fell down. And he was like, that was me just standing there with a pipe in my mouth. He's like, all right. So he walks outside and he starts walking around the block and he's thinking, okay, what could I do? I certainly can't physically push him out. I'm not going to call him rude names. I'm not going to call the police, but I can't allow him to enjoy his cadaverous triumph over me. So what can I do? He calls him cadaverous so many yeah. times. I love it. Oh, you love it now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, okay, what if I ignore Bartleby? Like, just pretend that he's not there at all? Surely if I do that, he'll leave. Then he's like, no, I don't think that'll work. I'll just talk to him again. Yeah. So he goes up there and he says, I am seriously disappointed in you you haven't even taken the money you've like, pained me bartleby yeah he <laughs> says will you or will you not quick quit me and he says i would prefer not to quit you he says what right do you have to stay here you're not paying rent you're not paying my taxes do you own this property are you ready to go ahead and write and then he like tries to give him his job back and he's like why don't you just copy a little paper just a small one just a few lines why don't you just go to the post office do anything any any anything and bartleby says nothing and just goes into his little screen yeah quietly goes behind the screen yeah. he remembers about some people who worked in an office and one of them like got really angry it seems like one of them got angry and killed the other person and he's remembering this story yeah and he's like i don't want to end up like that <laughs> he's remembering this story and he's thinking like okay i remember that in the bible it says a new commandment i give unto you that you love one another and then he's like okay I'm going to calm down. I'm going to calm down. You certainly can't murder someone for charity's sake. Like people kill over <laughs> jealousy or money, but nobody's ever killed someone because they like feel so bad for them. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so in order to stop himself from like killing this, basically a mercy killing of this guy, he goes, Jesus wouldn't like this. Yeah. <laughs> he decides he's going to just distract himself. And he thinks, well, you know, 
over his own period of time, if I give him long enough, he's just gonna, he's just gonna come out and, and leave. But no, everything continues on as normal. Like morning turns into afternoon, nippers calms down, turkey gets worse, ginger nut is munching on his. Everyone just gets used to it, basically. Everyone just gets used to it, yeah. To Bartleby's presence. He's like, you're, I'm not gonna persecute you anymore, Bartleby. You're not bothering anyone. You're just sitting behind a screen in the office. I'll leave you alone. I'm fine with it. He says, <laughs> at last I see it. I feel it. I penetrate to the predestinated purpose of my life. I am content. <laughs> the purpose of my life is to leave Bartleby alone. <laughs> Others may have loftier parts to enact, but my mission in this world, Bartleby, is to furnish you with office room for such period as you may see fit to remain. This is a cat. This is what owning a cat is. Yeah. Yeah, it's just to give you a place to live. <laughs> that is his life's goal, is to let Bartleby sit in his office. <laughs> and he says, I feel like I would have done that for the rest of my life, except that, unfortunately, like, anytime other professionals came to my office and they saw this weird Bartleby, sometimes he would just stand in the middle of a room and not move, and other lawyers would come by and think he was a clerk and be like, oh, hey, could you do this thing for me? Like, try to hand him a paper. Bartleby would totally ignore them and then wow. they would think he was being rude and it was starting to hurt the narrator's professional reputation and then now people are kind of whispering <laughs> about it like th this guy keeps a weird dude sitting in his office yeah like the narrator has gone mad why is he allowing this <laughs> yeah so he decides i've got to get rid of this quote intolerable incubus <laughs> so he decides all right well i got to get rid of him but if he won't go then i need to go yeah. <laughs> so basically he says i need to move and so he decides to just move out of yeah. his offices and get a new place to live or get a new place to work from so he tells bartleby uh my offices are too far from city hall and the air is unwholesome so next week i'm going to move offices and i don't need your services anymore <laughs> i'm just letting you know <laughs> And Bartleby doesn't say anything else. <laughs> hey, you got to go somewhere else because I'm, I'm going to move. <laughs> he finds a whole new place. So they start moving everything. The last thing they move is the folding screen in front of Bartleby. So they the movers take that too. And when they leave, Bartleby's standing there and he says, uh, goodbye, Bartleby. God some way bless you and take that. And he offers him some money, but like he tries to put it in Bartleby's hand, but it just falls to the floor. Bartleby has so little willpower, he won't even close his hand around the money. So now he's just standing there, won't speak, won't yeah. look, won't move. And they've moved all the furniture out and he's just The narrator there. says he had to tear himself away from Bartleby. And when he gets to his new office, he is like paranoid <laughs> and he keeps the doors locked. It's and Bartleby. every time he hears a football, he's like, oh my god is Bartleby coming back <laughs> but he never shows up he never shows up and he's like that's over but one day an annoyed stranger shows up and says did you used to be at this office and he's like yeah it was me and the person says and then he, he immediately knows what's gonna happen yeah the person says well then you're responsible for the man that you left there he would prefer not to do any work and he won't leave the office and the narrator says, I'm very sorry, but he's nothing to me. He's no relation or apprentice of mine. The man says, in Mercy's name, who is he? And the guy's like, I can't tell you. I have no idea. <laughs> he says, formally I employed him, but he's done nothing for me now for some time past. Wow. And so the guy's like, okay, I guess I'll take care of him myself. And he leaves. And for a few days, the narrator doesn't hear anything else. But he never really feels easy. <laughs> He goes about a week later and then nothing really happens, but he comes back to his offices in the morning about a week later and he finds several people standing there and they say, that's the man, here he comes. 
<laughs> and someone says, you've got to get this guy out of the office. So it's the landlord and the lawyer he spoke to earlier and a couple other people, like another lawyer. The landlord's like, you have got to get him out of here. They kicked him out of the office and now he's haunting the building generally. He's sitting on the banisters. He's sleeping in the entry. Everyone's concerned. You have to do something right now. <laughs> Some people are worried that a mob may come to take care of him and say, you've got to do something. And so they say, the narrator is like, okay, well, he tried to, you know, protest. Like, I don't know this guy. He's not related to me. I'm not responsible for him. But then he's like, all right, I've just got to give it my best shot. So he goes back to the old office and he finds Bartleby sitting upon the banister on the landing. And he just says, what are you doing here, Bartleby? And he says, sitting upon the banister. Do you know you're the one you're causing, who's causing the trouble and Bartleby does an answer at all so he's like you have to do something or something is going to be done to you yeah. so here are some options and he lists like a bunch of jobs that bartleby could do and every single job bartleby says i don't want to do that but i'm not i'm not particular and everyone he's like no i'm not particular but i don't want to do that yeah or like i don't like traveling i don't like to be confined i don't like this i don't like this so he lists a bunch of options and bartleby's like nah I would prefer not to. <laughs> he says, no, I don't want to do that. I like to be stationary, but I'm not particular. And then yeah. the narrator says, well, stationary you shall be then. If you don't go away from these premises before night, I, I'm going to have to quit the premises myself. And then this does nothing to Bartleby because he doesn't care. Of course not. Yeah. So he finally says, Bartleby, you can move into my house. <laughs> Come home with me. <laughs> not my office. Yeah. <laughs> Please. You can live in my house until I find something that works for you. Just come with me right now. Let's go. And Bartleby says, at present, I would prefer not to make any change at all. And the narrator's like, I can't. I literally can't do anything. So he leaves and he's like, <laughs> okay, well, I did my best and I've got to just be content with my conscience knowing that I tried my best. He's worried that he's going to be hunted out again by all the people who are angry about Bartleby, you know, haunting this office. So he actually goes on <laughs> yeah. vacation for a while and tries to just get away. And when he comes back, he notices there's a note from the landlord on the desk and it informed him that the writer, the landlord who owns the previous office building, had called the police and Bartleby had been removed to prison. They call it the Tombs. It's just the name of a particular prison. I think it's like a debtor's prison a lot of times or like a vagrant's prison or something. So they just put him there as a vagrant and then he feels bad and he's like, I'm going to go visit him. So he goes to the tombs to go visit Bartleby and <laughs> he's standing by himself in the yard and he's surrounded by murderers and thieves and all kinds of terrible people. And he goes up to him and says, Bartleby. And Bartleby's without turning around, says, I know you and I want nothing to say to you. And he says, I didn't do this, Bartleby. This was somebody else. Look, I tried to do all this stuff for you. And he says, look, it's not so bad. You love just sitting and doing nothing. This is <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, he staring says, at the wall. Here you have sky and grass. <laughs> and Bartleby's like, I know where I am. And he wouldn't say anything <laughs> else. And then he talks to the jailer and the jailer's like, is that your friend? Because he doesn't eat anything and he's going to starve. Basically, if you pay bribes, they can get them better food. Whoa. So he gives the grub man a bunch of money and he's like take really good care of him give him the best possible food and the guy's like oh yeah my wife will make his dinners for yeah. him wow. and his name is mr cutlets that's weird right cutlets mr cutlets. it could just be a nickname who knows <laughs> so the grub man is like well then introduce me to him so i can get to know him and so he brings the grub man up to bartleby and says this is mr cutlets and mr cutlets is like i hope you'll find it very pleasant here i'm gonna make you some nice dinners uh wouldn't you like to come and have dinner yeah, like come have dinner with my wife and i yeah and he says i prefer not to dine today 
It would disagree with me. I am unused to dining, basically. And the grub man is like, what's wrong with him? And the narrator says, I think he's a little deranged. So that's that. So finally, a few days later, he gets permission again to visit the tombs and he looks for Bartleby. Someone says, well, he may have gone in the yards. So he goes in the yards and someone says, oh yeah, there he is. He's sleeping in the yard. I saw him lie down 20 minutes ago. So he goes in the yard and he goes up to Bartleby and he sees him huddled against the base of the wall with his knees drawn up, lying on his side, his head touching the cold stones. Bartleby's not moving. He looks like he's asleep. And then he feels Bartleby's hand and realizes that he is dead. So the grub man arrives and says, well, I've got his dinner. Is he not going to eat today either? Does he live without dining? And the narrator like closes Bartleby's eyes and says, he lives without dining. And the grub man says, he's asleep, ain't he? And the narrator says, with kings and counselors, which is a reference to the book of Job. This is so sad. So the last paragraph is him saying, Imagination will readily supply the meager recital of poor Bartleby's interment. Nobody's went to his funeral. Yeah, just, I don't have to say that. You can just imagine that. Um, He says, I never learned anything about Bartleby, but I heard a rumor about him. I'm not sure if it's true, but the rumor is that before he worked with me, mm -hmm. he was a clerk at the dead letter office in Washington, but after a change in administration, he was like, let go. To the narrator, it feels like it's true. And he thinks that, he says, dead letters, does it not sound like dead men? And he thinks if you're someone who is like inclined towards hopelessness, think about how sad it would be to always be handling these dead letters, going through them, removing the valuables and burning them. And like, you know, thinking about how they came to be here, what happened to the sender and the recipient, whatever. So basically dead letters are, are mail that like can't be delivered and nobody receives it and yeah. Yeah, for whatever reason. So he thinks it's very depressing and he says, on errands of life, these letters speed to death. And the final line is, ah, Bartleby, ah, humanity. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> so he spends like a long time building up to this rumor. And it's like, I heard a rumor. It's vague. I don't know if I should even mention it. I will mention it, but I don't yeah. know if it's true. And then it's like- He used to work at the post office. He used office. to work at the post office <laughs> doing a job that lots of other people do. We learn at the beginning of the story that the narrator no longer has his job, but we never find out why or if it has anything to do with Bartleby. So mm. that's a little bit of a mystery too. What do you think, Thea? What's your overall impression? Do you enjoy this? If you told me this whole story and didn't tell me when it was written, I would think it was a 20th century thing. I would think it was written like the 1950s like, or something. Yeah, like modernism. Oh, possibly. Yeah. It, I mean, it is proto-absurdism. Yep. Some of the some of the things that one could think. So I've seen somebody suggest that like it's possible that Bartleby represents another side of the narrator's personality and that he like him giving him a screen in the corner of the room is his like closing himself off, like literally closing off that part of his personality and trying to like separate it from himself. And so maybe Bartleby is not actually a real person. Mm -hmm. I think if you want to go with that, you could also say that nippers in Turkey are also not real people and neither is Ginger Nut. Like this guy is probably probably just completely insane and those are all just different personalities. I, I think that's the least likely of all interpretations. <laughs> I mean, you would have to be insane to have that many cats. I think that's by far the least plausible of all interpretations. That's very much like a fight club kind of thing. You could interpret it as Bartleby being part of this narrator's personality without thinking of it as being literally something that is happening in the story. There's a difference between saying like Bartleby represents another part of the personality and saying he is an alternate personality and the narrator's 
inventing ginger nut in his own mind. <laughs> there is no ginger nut. That is takes it way too far, in my ginger opinion. Ginger nut does not exist. Jackie, I don't know if you're right that they're all cats, but I do think that if someone is planning on having four cats as pets, those would be pretty good names for four cats. Turkey, Nippers, Bartleby, and Ginger Nut. Bartleby would be a great name for a cat. It really would. A cat who's really lazy? Yeah, so just any cat, basically. (gasps) A cat that no matter how many ginger nuts you feed it, it doesn't change its personality? I have a friend who um, whose dad moved recently from Kentucky to Texas, and he forgot to bring his cat. He packed up all of the cat's stuff, like food, water, toys, like got the crate together, all of that, packed all that up, left, forgot the cat. Wow. He's still there to this day. What? They had to call the police to get the cat out of there. Oh my gosh. It's a total home alone situation. (laughs) But no, but what happened with the cat? Um, Somebody took care of it. That cat is setting up booby traps for yeah. the, whoever comes the to the house. Wet boys or whatever they're called. Yeah. Wet boys. What? The wet bandits. The sticky bandits? <laughs> no, they were called the wet bandits. Uh, who are the sticky bandits? Home alone bandits. Yeah, they're the wet bandits. Oh. I can't believe you thought I was so absurd for guessing the wet boys. That's disgusting. <laughs> also, there are sticky bandits, though. Did I tell you this story about how my mom's friend had a son who he refused to speak until he was like five years old and they kept taking to the doctor and saying, is he okay? Like, is there anything wrong with him developmentally? And the doctor said, no, we think he's just not talking because he doesn't have anything he wants to say. Like you're (laughs) anticipating what he wants before he needs to say anything. And then he was like four or five years old and just sitting there. So they're sitting at dinner, they're like eating. And then he just says, love Home Alone 2. And everyone like freaks out. (laughs) Love Home Alone 2. That's awesome. (laughs) That was his first word. Wow. Yeah. Are you serious? <laughs> and they were so worried about him for so long. And then he's just like, this is the only thing that I've ever needed wait, to say. Wait, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard because for five years, he never, ever wanted to say anything. And then he never needed to say anything. What finally overtook him was the need to say, I love Home Alone. Yeah. It took him a long time to decide what his opinion was about Home Alone, too. Oh my God. Do you ever think something is so funny that you almost can't laugh? as hard as you want to. I'm astonished by that. Wow. That's an interesting feeling to have. Love Home Alone too. <laughs> yeah, I know a guy who apparently didn't talk for like four years and... As a kid or just in the middle of his as life? As a child, as a young one. For the first four years? Yeah, the very first of his four years. Okay. And apparently at one point he had played with a turtle with his dad in the stream. Or his dad had taken him down to look at the turtles in the stream. And the turtle took his voice like Ursula in The Little Mermaid. Good guess. <laughs> apparently when he was four, he I think he hit his head on something. And then he went to the hospital. And while he was in the hospital and his dad was in the room, he turned to his dad and said, when I have a son, I'm going to take him to see the turtles too. And that was the first thing he said. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. In the hospital? <laughs> it was the day they saw the turtles he hit his head? Or was it later on? Uh, I think it was later on. Like days had passed. Yeah. I, that's very funny, but I have to say Love Home Alone 2 is- It's funnier. much funnier, but but <laughs> I do think that first words. Austin's story of, of saying the thing about the turtles, <laughs> to me, that seems very haunted. Like either that's when the ghost started haunting him or that's when it finished haunting him. Is that moment when he said that <laughs> sentence, you know? You don't think a ghost would make a kid say that they love Homeland too? <laughs>
Can you tell us some theories? Yes. So one idea is that only a few years before, Henry David Thoreau had written his essay, Resistance to Civil Government, often called Civil Disobedience. So this idea was kind of percolating throughout society. Mm. So one idea is that it was just that it was uh, Melville kind of ruminating on that Mm. and playing it out, seeing what would happen. A lot of people interpret it as Bartleby's like an anti-capitalist hero. Because of being born into a capitalist society, you have no choice but to be productive And if you don't do what society wants, if you don't make yourself useful... You're cast away. You can't exist. You can't even just not bother people. You can't even just sit in the corner and keep yourself to yourself. Mm. You will go to jail. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's actually a very common interpretation, that it's an anti-capitalist. I think that makes sense. Yeah, I do think if he were just doing nothing in another place, he wouldn't have gotten arrested, right? I mean, the author offers to take him home and let him do nothing and just feed him, and, and Bartleby says no even to that. So I think you have to take it a step further and say it's not just about like refusing to be productive. It's about maybe Joshua was correct when he said it's about melancholy, a complete disconnect from what people expect of you. Yeah, a lot of people think of it as kind of taking melancholy or depression to an extreme to just show people like what it feels like. <laughs> you know, externally. There's an interpretation that Bartleby is like almost like a Christ figure, that he's sacrificing himself the way that he dies at the end, which to me, I don't know. There are a lot of biblical references, but I don't think that that matters too much. Like this was a time when everyone was just dropping hot Bible references left and right. So I don't know if that's particularly what it's about. There's also an idea that like Bartleby is enlightened in a sense that he, you know, all he's doing is he's totally content staring out a window at nothing. Right, he's reached nirvana, basically. He is the only one in the whole story who is able to do exactly what he wants to do at all times. Like, everyone else in the story, you see them doing things that they expressly are not interested in doing. And Bartleby, the entire story, only does what he wants to do. Right. They're constantly at the whims of like, what time of day is it and what's going on? And Bartleby is just in a constant state of- He's the only free man. He has transcended suffering and pleasure and he just exists. Mm -hmm. I think there is something to the whole, like this might be part of a representation of the narrator's psyche because he talks about how like I chose this job so that it would be easy and comfortable and I wouldn't have to do very much, but he's like endlessly struggling with what to do with Bartleby and how to think about him and like his lack of industry and his cadaverousness, Mm. but then also his ultimate harmlessness. And he's like really struggling with that. And I think maybe the narrator might be thinking, should I have done something different with my life? Like, I'm old now. Feeling guilty for not being productive. Yeah, like, maybe I should have done something to, like, be more helpful or just to be anything rather than just to live my life being comfortable. And now I'm almost at the end of it. And maybe I should have done something a little more impactful. Mm-hmm. He's angry at Bartleby about that because he's reminding him of what his own maybe shortcomings were. There is an article that is basically saying the attempted interpretation of Bartleby is a joke by Melville on the audience, that it was specifically written to be resistant to interpretation. Like, there are multiple times when he says, like, nobody knew anything about Bartleby. I was never able to resolve this, etc. You might be curious about the mystery of the dead letters, but they are utterly resistant to being solved or they wouldn't be there at all. So 
the idea is that like if you're trying to dissect it he purposefully wrote it this way to involve you in the story although it's impossible to come up with an interpretation right like now we are the narrator so it's a story that's written to be absurd to make people think well what is this about is it about this or this or this but there's no answer or at least there's no answer that you're able to get from the book like you can't just tie a little bow around it and be like oh it's melancholia (laughs) yeah but that's ingenious and yeah well I feel like all great pieces of art like there's usually not just one thing right but it, that's not because it's the the artist playing a joke on us about the ultimate lack of meaning mm. that could be the meaning right there like everything is ultimately meaningless and he's playing a joke on us trying to get us to find meaning in something that is the most meaningless thing possible Yeah, I mean, that's really, I feel like the big question is more like, is the end for Bartleby, is it his triumph that he has escaped the system that he no longer has to even deal with people trying to get him to do things he would prefer not to do? Or is it like Holden Caulfield, the thing that he was warned about from the teacher, which is look at what happens to you if you lose interest in the world. Like if you stop looking for things to excite you and to enjoy, this is what happens. I feel like that's the biggest question is, is it supposed to be a good thing or a bad thing? Obviously the narrator thinks it's a bad thing. I think it depends which system of belief that you ask because I really think that like basically, yeah, he's achieved nirvana. Like he needs nothing. He wants nothing because basically in Buddhism, like wanting things is the root of suffering. It depends who you ask (laughs) whether Bartleby has succeeded it or not exactly is he enlightened or is he depressed yeah and then you can like get a little bit more abstract if you start to think oh is this about religion is this about capitalism (laughs) is this Mm -hmm. about civil disobedience blah 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 i think this is great it's ingenious you like it yeah so you liked it when you said you that it was creepy just because i think bartleby is creepy and gives me a weird feeling doesn't mean i don't think it's a genius story It definitely made me feel something. Okay. (laughs) I wasn't sure. Because whenever you kept saying, oh, he's so creepy, I'm like, but she loves to be creeped. Here's the thing. What makes a bad story is something that makes me feel nothing. Bartleby makes me feel things, for sure. (laughs) Okay. We have a couple uh, little housekeeping things we'd like to go over with you guys. Stay tuned. I promise they're going to be fun. I promise they're going to be fun. Don't you touch that dial. So first thing is we would like to announce that we have a new segment uh, that is going to involve listeners. So we'd love to hear from you guys because Mm -hmm. this is just like a, I don't know, like a cesspool of us just giving our own hot takes all the time, but we want to hear from you. Just a cesspool of us. (laughs) (laughs) That's the name of this podcast. Welcome to Fire the Cannon, a cesspool of us. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so we don't want to be an echo chamber. Um, We would love to hear from you guys. And so we are going to start having a recurring segment, which if we get enough submissions, we can turn it into its own kind of recurring episode. But we're going to have a segment which is called Shots Fired. And it's going to be your submissions of whatever hot takes you have about various works of literature. So that doesn't have to be a famous, uh, you know, serious work of literature in the Western canon. It can be any book that, you know, you think other people might not have the same opinion as you on, or maybe you want to see if other people think the same thing. If it is like a classic work of literature that you'd read in high school, all the better, but um, could be a short story, could be a famous poem, anything that you think other people might know and you have a strong opinion about, tell it to us. Yeah, if you want to fight about a book, 
This is the place to get that fight started. <laughs> yeah, um, you can either send that to us in a private message on Facebook. Just slide into our DMs. You can slide into our DMs on Instagram or Twitter. But what I would prefer that you do is just go ahead and email it to us at firethecanonpodcast at gmail.com. You like how I basically said all of our contact information right there in that one little request? That was incredible. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Send us your stuff. We're excited to get them. We also would like to remind you that we are going to be doing next week our first episode on a confederacy of dunces by John Kennedy Toole. This was the King Patron's pick. So uh, Tristan, get excited. We're about to do your book. And everybody else get excited because this is going to be a great read and a great series of episodes. We're excited. And if you want to read along, go ahead and grab that book where you can and uh, read up. Yeah. Thea's reading it this time to sweeten the deal a little bit. I am. Yeah. You've got a trifecta, a cesspool of us. If you're interested in one of our wonderful stickers among many other benefits... You can find us at firethecanon dot no <laughs> patreon.com slash firethecanon C-A-N-O-N. We really appreciate all our patrons. Every dollar we get goes to paying for hosting, upgrading our storage capabilities, because <laughs> we're gonna start doing some video podcasting. So thank you everybody who helps us with that. Putting it all to good use. <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna reward you with uh, stickers that you can staple or uh, pin to anything you want. Lick. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you want to do. This is a beautiful sticker. It's got everything. It's got hot. It's got cool. It's got action. It's got romance. Uh, comedy. It's got romance. Yeah. In action. It has little flights of fancy, but can also be serious. It's got the name of our podcast on it. Oh, yeah. That- it has the word mm-hmm. podcast on it. <laughs> it has a book. It has an <laughs> adhesive backside and a smooth front side. Oh, yeah. That will never come off. <laughs> um, all right. So here's the part where we say goodbye to now. I would prefer not to. Uh, Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Bye now. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye now. Bye now.